1741, famous American preacher Jonathan Edwards preached what is one of the most famous sermons of all time. Uh, it's studied widely today. Um, it's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And as he preached it to his congregation in 1741, the people were crying out the whole time in distress as he, as, in distress as he preached. Uh, they were saying, what must I do to be saved? They were so freaked out by what he was saying because he was, he was making vivid and terrifying illustrations of hell. And everybody who heard started to panic. And so there was a mass conversion. People came to God and they were deeply shaken, probably giving their lives to God out of great fear of what might happen to them if they didn't. Now, Jonathan Edwards is a widely respected preacher and, and revered for his, his great passion and his preaching skill. For me, I would never claim to be in the same league as the man. But my sense is that sinners in the hands of an angry God is perhaps not what you and I need to hear today. My sense is that in our context, that message, sinners in the hands of an angry God, doesn't really bring people to him anymore probably did back in those times. In these times, you preach that people don't want anything to do with an angry God. They don't believe in this type of a God. In fact, I believe that the message of the gospel is not so much sinners in the hands of an angry God, but I'm sinful and God is merciful. That's the gospel message. Not I'm sinful and God is angry. I am sinful, but God is merciful. And so tonight I want to look at a passage in the gospel that proves this, I think, quite strongly. It comes from Luke's gospel. It's a wonderful uh, occasion in Jesus' life. And as we watch it, I've got a little video instead of the reading. We're going to watch a, a clip of it happening. As we watch it, see if you can see sinner, a sinner in the hand of an angry God or a sinner in the hand of a merciful God. Thanks, Lorianne. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town, who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? 
I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So then, a sinner in the hands of an angry God or a sinner in the hand of a merciful God? Or perhaps a bit of both? <laughs> Let's look a little closely and see what the story shows. I want to note, first of all tonight, that we live in a world of sinners. Number one, we have all fallen short. You read the Bible over and over again. Uh, we read in God's word that in essence we've all fallen short. Uh, most famously perhaps in Paul's letter to the Romans where he said, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's a great moment in the Gospels uh, where Peter sees Jesus perform this miracle. Peter and his fishermen friends are busy out trying to catch some fish and they're just having a hopeless day. Jesus says to them, try one last time, just when they'd given up. So they say, okay, fine. They throw the net in and it's totally filled, starts to break apart. Peter sees this and we read, when, when he saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Interesting to me that that was his reaction to seeing God's greatness, was to recognize himself as a sinner. You see, here's the truth. When people come face to face with Jesus, they realize that even at their best, they fall short of his standard. He was so pure and so perfect that next to him, anybody honest comes to realize that they have fallen short. Have you ever felt really good about your ability to do something and then somebody else comes and does it so much better that you lose all confidence in yourself? Um, I started to play tennis a few months ago, I think just after the lockdown when we could exercise. And I'd spent the lockdown watching tennis on YouTube. Bad idea. So I'd watched Federer and all these guys just playing amazingly. And so I thought, I'm going to go play some tennis, man. I went with my friend... And I was super psyched to play some amazing tennis. And, you know, warmed up a bit and the first serve came and I took a swing thinking I'm going to smoke this one back across the court and it just went flying up into the back fence. I thought, what? What just happened? You know, the whole game, I, I slowly but surely discovered how bad I was at tennis compared to the guys who I'd been seeing who are the top of the tops, you know, the best guys in the world. Now, it's a really feeble analogy, but... You see what I'm saying? When you, when, you comp 
when you're honest and you compare yourself with the best of the best, uh, you, you can see how short you fall. And I think, you know, in our spiritual lives, it's, it's a similar thing. We try, and we think we're doing well, and then we see Jesus, and if we're honest with ourselves, we realize how we fall short of his perfection. In fact, the verb sin, or to sin, in our English Bibles, comes from the Greek word homotanio. I don't know if I got that right. And it means missing the mark. That's what it means. To sin, according to the Greek, means missing the mark. And so, yes, we're all sinners. We are. Compared to God's great standard of perfection, you and I and every other human being has fallen short. And so in our reading today, Jesus interacts with two sinners in our video today. The prostitute who came in and, and wept at his feet, and also the Pharisee. Jesus calls them both sinners, and he tells the story about two different people who were in debt to the money lender. He said this, two, two people owned money, owed money sorry, to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. You see, both of them are recognized by Jesus as having fallen short in some ways. Now, in modern times, many people have come to reject this and say, you can't call anybody a sinner. You can't, you can't beat somebody down like that. You must only affirm what is good in people. That's kind of what we are taught today. And I appreciate the sentiment, I do. And I would agree that we should never, ever call people a sinner to break them down, to malign them, to give them a negative self-image. So much bad has been done by calling people sinners that I sort of understand where it comes from. Too often people have been abused by this type of language. Too often I think people have been taught not that they're sinners, but that they're scum, that they're rubbish, that they're useless. And it's two totally separate things. I think maybe when Jonathan Edwards preached his famous sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, the tactic worked because people didn't see themselves as total scum because of what he was saying, but they just saw themselves as having fallen short of the glory of God. The point of calling ourselves sinners is not to say you're an idiot, you're rubbish, you're, you're not worth anything. That's not it at all. It's simply to say that God has created you and you've fallen short of the mark. We all have. And so you need a savior. We don't say it to beat ourselves up. We don't call ourselves sinners to knock ourselves down. But rather we say it to remain appropriately humble in our faith. Like Peter seeing himself next to the perfection of Jesus and falling down and saying humbly, I don't, I don't match up to this guy. And so today, yes, it's okay to say I'm a sinner. I'm sinful, but God is merciful. You're not saying I'm a waste of space. You're not saying I'm a piece of trash. You're just saying, you know what? I don't quite measure up and I need some help here. And I think if we're honest, we can all agree to that. Because the good news is even though we are sinners, God still loves us. And he sent Jesus especially for us. In fact, Jesus was called a friend of sinners. Number two tonight, he was known as a friend of sinners. He came specifically to reach out to those who had fallen short, not those who considered themselves okay. At one point, the Pharisees are grumbling about Jesus and the company that he keeps. And Jesus knows this, and he sort of hears them grumbling, and he says to them, 
It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. He knew that those people who are honest and recognize themselves as having fallen short would need his help. And so he came to help those who needed his help, who knew that they needed his help. Much to the dismay of the religious elite of his day, he came and reached out specifically to those who were recognized as sinners. In fact, just before the the story that we saw on the screen just now, just before it in Luke's gospel, uh, the Pharisees again were complaining about Jesus. And this time he said to them, you know, John the Baptist came neither eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. But me, the son of man, came eating and drinking, and you say he has a glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so he developed this reputation of befriending even sinners. Yes, we are sinners, but it doesn't mean God despises us. In fact, it means the very opposite. It means God comes for us to help us. It means he pursues us specifically because he knows we need his pursuing. He reaches out to us. He offers help to us. He loves even us. And you know, Simon couldn't understand this. Simon the Pharisee who was sitting around that table, whose home they were in. He couldn't understand it. He didn't know that God was a friend of sinners. In his teaching that he'd been taught, this didn't feature. And so he was stumped to think that God could reach out to a sinner. But you and I know it. And so we fall down, right, as we've sung. We fall down. We, we, we bow in God's presence and say, yes, I'm flawed. I don't measure up. Oh, but he is rich in mercy. Oh, he's a friend of sinners. He still invited me to feast with him. You know, reading the Gospels, we see Jesus often referring to people who he cared about as friends. Uh, quite often he spoke to the disciples as his friends. Perhaps this is the greatest difference between Christianity and other religions, is that we get to be friends with the one who saves us. Uh, Leslie Weatherhead wrote a great little book, The Transforming Friendship. And he says this in chapter 1. In fact, the book starts like this. Christianity must seem to some people very complicated and difficult. Sermons are preached on it, books are written about it, conferences are held to discuss it. A single word in the Gospels can take a commentator several pages to explain. But then he says this, But surely the essence of the Christian message is very simple. Christianity is the acceptance of the gift of friendship of Jesus. I think he's right. I think when it comes down to it, the message is not you're a sinner in the hands of an angry God. It's you're a sinner, but you've got a friend who loves you and who cares for you even so. And so maybe you've rejected an angry God in your journey. You've said this whole angry God thing is just nonsense. Well, meet the friendly God today. Meet the God who reaches out to sinners like you and I. Meet Jesus today who comes not to beat you up because of your sin, but to welcome you in spite of your missing the mark. Now, thirdly tonight, I want to note that we as friends of Jesus receive a great gift. A great gift. His friendship is a wonderful gift in itself, of course, but the great story of the gospel is that this merciful God offers us not only his friendship, but his forgiveness. It's a gift nobody else can offer. <laughs> 
We are sinners in the hands of a merciful God, and mercy is God's forgiveness. In fact, I like this. I read a little acronym for the word mercy that spells out Messiah erases reasons condemning you. I like that. Messiah erases reasons condemning you. This is why Jesus came to befriend sinners, to offer them a great gift of writing off their debts. In our reading, that's exactly what he told Simon, right? Two people owned, owed money to a moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, and so he forgave the debts of both. He forgave them. This is the gospel that you and I fall short, but that Jesus has paid the debts. He's written them off. We're sinners. We, we, we owe our friend a massive debt because of what he's done to us. He comes along and he signs it off. We don't have to pay anymore. In fact, uh, John Ortberg tells this great story about his bedtime routine with his kids when they were small. He, he would say to them, I don't love you this much, holding his fingers out a little bit. And then he'd say, I don't love you this much, holding his hands out a little further. And then say, I don't love you this much. And he would, he would move his hands further and further until they were as wide as they could go. And he'd say, I love you this much. And then one day he was washing his car. And one of his little girls came out while he wasn't looking, looking pulled a bunch of stuff out of the boot and, and took a hosepipe and just destroyed them with the water. He came out and all of his stuff, his books, his clothes, his sport equipment was all destroyed there. <laughs> and he looked at her and he said this, my daughter who was about four at the time could see from my face that she'd sinned and that the wages of sin is death. She looked up with big brown eyes and she threw out her arms to the side. And said, I love you this much. <laughs> How could I punish that, he says. I could forgive her, but of course someone had to pay for the damage. She'd incurred a debt for the books and the clothes and the equipment. And even if I cleaned out her whole piggy bank, I wouldn't make a dent in what she owed. Forgiving is never just a matter of words. There is a cost involved. Someone has to pay the debts. And then he says, this is what happened at the cross. In some way that we will never understand, an unpayable debt was paid. And so, picture Jesus for a moment, anointing, or with that woman, anointing his feet, saying, your sins are forgiven, your debt is paid. Picture Jesus looking at you today, saying, your sins are forgiven, your debt is paid. I mean, Jesus would personally pay for our shame. He would go ahead, walk up to the cross, be nailed to the cross, wear our crown of thorns on his head, receive the beatings that we deserved to pay for our sins. And he pays it in our place. There's an old hymn that says, Jesus paid it all. Amen to that. One of my favorite verses, the Bible says, Even though your sins are like scarlet, so you are sinful. They shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. God's saying, I will take those sins on myself. I will wash away the shame. I will charge your debts to my tab. He's a merciful God, friends. Yes, we're sinners, but we're not sinners in the hands of an angry God. We're sinners with a chance of mercy at this God's feet. And so will you come to this Jesus today and be forgiven, and receive the great, great gift of having your debts written off. 
If you do, you'll receive another gift, a last one for tonight, which is a new purpose for sinners like you and I. When you realize that you're loved, when you know and believe that you're a sinner but he's merciful, it changes everything in your life. You become a new person and you start to become like your friend. Have you noticed you hang around certain people, you start to become like them? Like uh, if you hang around people who swear a lot, suddenly swear words pop into your brain. You didn't try, they just happen. You hang around people who love to party. Uh, You sort of want to join in in that sort of lifestyle. You hang around people who do things not the way you do. You start to kind of conform to their ways. But it, it happens in the other way as well. You hang around good people. You hang around people who inspire you. And you start to do better in your life. You hang around with people who are positive. You start to become inspired by them. Hang around Jesus. Hang around your new friend, your, your great friend, the friend of sinners. You start to become like him if you actually hang around him. And when you're becoming like him, one thing that happens is you become more merciful. Just like he's merciful. Can you put your name into our sermon title today? I wonder if my friends can say, I'm sinful but Luke is merciful. I don't know if they can. Put your own name in there. Try it out. Does it work? Or do people look at you and say, I'm sinful and that person has no mercy, no grace. I'm a sinner in the hands of an angry Luke. <laughs> That's not a pretty sight. But sinner in the hands of a merciful Luke, a merciful Chris, a merciful Jerry, a merciful Beppy. That's what life's about, friends. That's what being a Christian is about. When you know the sweet mercy of Jesus in your own life, oh boy, how wonderful it is to share it with other sinners like yourself. And so let's not be the type of Christians who who swallow up God's mercy for ourselves and then deny it to others in our own lives. Let's not be like Simon the Pharisee, totally upset at that lady who came into his home. But let's, let's pour out the love and the mercy that we've received from Jesus to other sinners. Now let me close by saying this. Jonathan Edwards wasn't wrong. He wasn't preaching a false gospel. He, he, in fact, followed many of Jesus' warnings. Jesus often spoke of hell, spoke about the great uh, possibility of eternal suffering when, you separate, when you're separated from God. But you see, Jesus wept at the state of the lost. Jesus looked out and saw the lost, and he, he wept at what he saw. It was with tears in his eyes that he spoke about the lost. The Bible says that God wants all people to be saved. Yes, we can reject this gift of friendship. But don't picture a raging, angry God up there tossing unrepentant sinners into hell with glee. That's a wrong picture. Picture the merciful God, tears in his eyes, broken that his own people would reject him and separate themselves from him forever. I am sinful, but he is merciful. Choose his mercy. Choose his friendship. And have your debts wiped away forever. Now we're going to celebrate communion together. And what is the point of communion? At its heart, it's remembering what Jesus did. 
It's a moment of remembrance where we thank him for wiping our debts away. And so I'm going to ask Ralph to come and lead us through that. And let's, let's enjoy this moment celebrating our friendship with this great God who is merciful.